Welcome back to our listeners across the world. This is the second episode of our series on peace building. Last time we were joined by Mariam Tadros and David Cousins who head up our peace building work at Tear Fund and we talked about the three aspects undergirding our peace building work, namely moral imagination, hospitality and embrace. This time we're joined by Mariam Tadros and David Cousins again, which is a delight, and we'll be looking in depth at the topic of moral imagination. So, moral imagination, I come to that not quite knowing what it is. Mariam, would you like to start by just giving us a bit of a sense of what moral imagination means? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Alice. So, um, within our peace building work, we worked uh, within the first year to come up with this kind of theological framework that uh, underpins uh, our peace building work. And part of that was looking at what some of the key concepts, key elements of what it is to do peace building, but mostly to be a peace builder uh, in, in conflict areas. And it's really built into a verse that comes from the Book of Romans in the New Testament uh, that talks about how the whole creation uh, has been groaning in labour pains until now. And it's this idea that as humanity, uh, we are consistently in this process of transformation and in this process of complexity and becoming more and more who we are uh, created to be. And so from that, there's a famous peace-building theologian who kind of is the peace-building theologian to go to called John Paul Lederach. And he talks about this concept of the moral imagination, which is this space within a peace builder, within those who want to work in peace building, that allows you to, in the midst of complexity and in the midst of conflict, to imagine something different. And he talks about four key elements that make it possible to do this. The, uh, the ability to imagine ourselves in a web of relationships and relationships that include our enemies. The ability to sustain a curiosity about the world that makes it complex and doesn't rely on dualism. The ability to believe in and pursue the creative act to create new things. And the willingness to accept the inherent risk of stepping into the mystery of the unknown uh, that is beyond what might surround us uh, at the moment. David, are there any particular elements of that unpacking those four elements that have particularly struck you within the moral imagination? I think there's a, there's a couple of bits that always strike me about it. Um, and the first is that sort of web of relationships. Um, part of that is about engaging with people that are different, who hold different points of view. But so often when we do that, we engage with a view to try and persuade them to change their point of view. And this is very much coming at it from the perspective of, of engaging with them to learn, to understand, to be open to, to growing our view of what it is, what that relationship is, and, and where people are coming from. So not going in with a sort of a set mindset. That is one element, I think, of it. And I think the other bet is about embracing complexity. So often, as we try to understand things, we, we, we simplify. And as we simplify, it becomes sort of um, either or, you're, what, you're this or you're that, and we attach labels. And that ends up dividing. John Paul Lederach, I think, recognises very helpfully that people are complicated and complex and we often hold points of view within ourselves that are intention and therefore it's avoiding that oversimplification it's it's recognising that complexity and being able to sit in that complexity and um, 
I think the last bit as well about being willing to take a risk and, and so often we, we feel we've got to try and plot out every step of the way. I remember listening to um, a lady called Daniel Strickland once who um, works for the Salvation Army and she talked about a visit to Mount Sinai and doing the sort of a pilgrimage there and as part of that walking up the mountain in the dark with the aim of getting to the top in order to see the dawn. And she makes the point that you couldn't see the top, you couldn't see the whole route. All you could see was enough to take the next couple of steps. And it's having that confidence that, that you're heading in a direction and that enough of the route will be revealed as you go along in order to get to the top, but you need to step out and just take those first steps. And I think that's quite helpful in terms of thinking about risks as well. There's something very emergent then about this approach. Mariam, is there anything that you'd like to add to what David said? Maybe just to pick up on the, on the other element, which is the creative element, and that uh, creativity isn't a simple thing, but actually it, it takes hard work, it takes hard graft, and it takes a real, uh, going back to that idea of complexity, it takes a real commitment to understanding the different power dynamics, to understanding what it takes to bring people, including your enemies, uh, along on that journey. And then the bravery, really, the courage to attempt to offer a new vision uh, with people who may well be uh, stuck within their norm. Um, and so that risk and that creativity, there's, um, there's a deep beauty in it and it is emergent, but there is deep danger in it as well. And the commitment to the hard graft of actually bringing something to life. John Paul Lederach also has a, another phrase that he uses that I've always quite liked, and he talks about um, the gift of pessimism. And what he's getting at there is the, the grounded reality that people living in conflict have. Um, they know that peace is difficult, they are wary, they've seen too many bright ideas come and go and fail, and often make situations worse. And so they have this sort of this, this pessimism, this wary of simplistic, simplistic solutions that promise much but, but fail to deliver. And I think that is, he calls it a gift because I think it is that, that reality that comes in and, and, and tests your ideas and, and keeps you true, I think, probably. Thank you for that. We're going to hear now from Kieran Barnes, who will be reflecting on Tear Fund's work in the Middle East, where he was director. So I recently went to a village in Iraq where I met a group of young men who were going on one of our courses, which is about helping them process some of the uh, trauma uh, and experiences that they've, they've had over the last few years during the, the conflict there. Um, and I was sitting in the discussion as they're talking about the impact it is on their lives, uh, their personal lives, but also their education, their future, what are their hopes, what are their fears. And part of that course is helping them move forward from this, moving beyond the crisis and looking for hope for the future and what comes next. What was really interesting about that experience uh, recently was I was there three years ago in the same uh, part of Iraq, uh, right where ISIS were up at the front line, where the conflict was going on. All those villages had been abandoned, uh, buildings had been destroyed, there was no life, they were like ghost towns. So three years later now coming back and seeing these villages populated again, with families, kids playing in the streets, uh, and communities starting to come back to life, starting to feel safe again, uh, and actually starting to think about the future and the hope moving forward. 
I think for a lot of young people who've grown up in this region and within these contexts, uh, they've experienced maybe a short part of their life with a bit of stability and a, a normal life as we would think of it. Um, but from that early age, they've then had to flee and go somewhere else and follow their family, having no idea what's going on. Uh, so their formative years, when they're getting into their double digits, into their teenage years, they've not grown up in a normal home. They keep potentially moving. Um, they're not sure what's coming next. It's very much about the day-to-day, -day, about survival, getting one day to the next. There's not that chance to think about what do I want to do when I grow up. Those kind of dreams that we all have when we're, we're children, they're simply thinking about the next day. Uh, so for them, it's we as an organization want to help them process through that and start to bring that hope back into their lives so they can start dreaming about the future and start thinking about the long term. Uh, a few years ago, I was down near the front lines where people were fleeing from ISIS uh, in Iraq, and I met villagers who were crossing the front lines from one side of the war into another side of the war. These were people who were coming through on trucks. Uh, there was men, uh, men were on one side and women and children were on the other, and I saw the women and children climbing off the trucks literally with all they had, all they were wearing, and then they were going through a kind of process um, of what then happens to them and, and taken off to camps where they were provided with shelter and accommodation and these kind of things. Talking to those communities a few weeks later about the experience that they'd gone through, the challenge of just leaving their home, um, fleeing, um, having to go through areas that have been destroyed, having to negotiate their, their way out safely, but also avoiding things like sniper fire, seeing the bodies in the, in the roads, and their whole families are just kind of walking through these areas. That was very challenging to think about that experience that they'd gone through. But then also this difficult experience of living within tents, within very hot conditions, and again not knowing what the future holds, what, what's going to happen to them. Next, we've heard lots of stories in the region of people fleeing, and I think that's sometimes the hardest thing to hear, uh, the trauma that they've gone through. And we know that there are families who've died in the mountains, for example, between Syria and Lebanon, who've frozen to death in the winter. That's the fear that people have had that have driven them to take these risks uh, to escape um, what they've been experiencing. And, and that's a very difficult thing to hear, but knowing that we can now help those who have made it out, um, providing them with support is so crucial. I think the young people within these cultures are so crucial for the future uh, of these contexts and the future for peace uh, and hope within the countries. And as an organization, we really want to focus on them as a group. They're a vulnerable group, um, but they also provide or show a lot of potential for the future. Um, they've gone through difficult experiences, but as we help them process through that trauma, but then also start to think about where does conflict come from? Where is the anger that comes from within communities, within cultures, um, within the power dynamics and the politics? Uh, helping young people to open their minds to see other sides uh, and what their experiences are, helping them look at where that comes from. If they can address that, see that, then they're the ones who are going to change for the future. They're the ones who are going to be more open to their neighbours, who are going to be more open to the countries around them, and hopefully bring that long-lasting change that we really need. I think the young people within this region are a very particularly vulnerable group. They've gone through a lot of trauma and challenges themselves at a young age and they're potentially looking at a future where they, they're uncertain, they don't know what's going to come next. If we're not able to work with this group and help support them process that and help bring hope, then we're going to end up in a cycle of going through the same conflicts, the same crisis over and over again. They are the future that could change things for the better or we could continue to be repeating the same uh, crisis again and again and again. It's been great to unpack the concept of moral imagination and to hear from Kieran. 
Mariam, David, we'd love to hear from you about where you've seen moral imagination coming to life, grounded in a story from your work. So Mariam, maybe you'd like to go first. Sure. So the, um, the biggest story that's coming to mind for me is some of the work that we've been doing for the last three and a bit years now, uh, particularly in the Kurdish region of Iraq and in Iraq. And uh, the story for me that kind of highlights the moral imagination is how the work there began. So we have a, a community of 12 peace builders who come from different backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds. And when we first started out together, we were there was five peace builders and uh, they didn't really know each other. They kind of heard of each other in different circles as you do within the sector. But uh, they weren't friends, they didn't really interact in their lives. And I remember uh, one of the first times we came together, we did a workshop around healing the wounds of war. It was an opportunity for each of them to spend five days together, all of us in a room, and really kind of go into this space of discovering their own stories as individuals who had lived, some of them, through three or four civil wars, through invasions, through uh, genocide, uh, we had people from Christian backgrounds, Yazidi backgrounds, uh, Sunni and Shia backgrounds, and people who had, uh, through their own families, just through their own experiences, had not only seen conflict but lived that life of displacement, of just trying to get by. And I remember being in that workshop and being so blown away by when we started to unpack what those wounds of war were how day-to-day -day they were. So for people it was uh, their children not being able to go to school or the fights that they had at home or their family issues that were going on, all in the context of uh, the wider conflicts that they'd lived and experienced. And a lot of their hope and a lot of their imagination was purely about wanting to build a peaceful future where their children, their families could do the normal things that families do. And what was even more incredible was that they were willing in this space with people who on a state level if you like should have been enemies uh, and were willing to share their heart, to share their own journeys, to share their own, yeah, their own stories. And I think for me what came out of that time together was firstly that binding of relationship, that network building that John Paul Lederach talks about. Um, and then we went through a creative process of imagining, okay, in your spaces, what could actually be possible to be done within your communities that could begin to build some peace? And once they were given that freedom to share their own stories and recognise their own wounds, uh, and then to begin to imagine what better could look like, uh, what came out was incredible. And that's been the work that we've been doing for the last three years together. That network has grown and it's young people, it's older people, it's men and women. And you know, it's, it's small, it's small projects, small initiatives, but for me to see the friendships that had grown amongst them for me was the ultimate thing of actually the, the ability within that setting and that context to imagine actually having friendships with your so-called enemy was something I don't think many could imagine often. And that then led to the creative act of being able to actually do something together. 
so for me, that, that group of people are incredibly special. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's an absolute privilege really to watch that process of imagination leading to creative acts. I was struck by how you talked about those people being special and also that they were willing. Have you got any reflections on what made those people willing to make that imaginative leap, to enter into that moral imagination of something better, something different? I think for me there's, there's two things in that. There's one which is uh, a fundamental belief that each human being is made with the ability to create and is made in the image of a god, a creator god. And so instinctively in each one of us is that ability to imagine and then to create. And I think the second part for me is what I've noticed uh, from Iraq and other places is once you open up space where people feel safe and they feel able to say the things that they imagine and dream uh, without feeling like they're just going to face disappointment, the things that come out are utterly incredible. Um, and so allowing space for people to envision and dream and come up with ideas and essentially name their hopes, which is a really scary thing when you're in a country that uh, often your hopes get dashed, um, either because of war or because of external influence. Um, but yeah, that space to, to allow that to come out and then obviously investing in uh, making those things come to life. Thanks. David, what story would you like to share with us today? I think as I reflect on that, I, I, it comes to mind a group of peace builders from the Great Lakes region in Africa. And this is a group of seven or eight people who have known each other for many years. They've met together for many years. And they're all from different countries. And they're countries that have had a difficult relationship with each other. They've each hosted refugees from each other's countries. And at the same time, they've each hosted um, armed militias from each other's countries. And so there are tensions between the countries, there's a high level of distrust. And yet this group of people are determined to model a different way of being, to model a way of trust and of relationships. And I was fortunate to be part of some of their workshops where they came together. And you can see there's a tremendous strength of relationship between them. And a lot of them work with young people. They work in developing young leaders, next generation leaders. And one of them expressed it to me that they want to bring these young leaders from different countries together so that the next time, looking to the future, there's tension between their countries. And when politicians, when leaders from those countries come together and sit together to try and resolve it, that the two people sitting there are graduates of their program. They've grown up knowing each other. They've come to the same events. And therefore, they relate to each other, not as opponents, but as peers looking for a solution. And a very real example of that, that while we were at that workshop, one of the, the younger um, members of the group had been to um, get a visa for, for traveling somewhere. And he was coming back uh, on the back of a, a Boda Boda, a motorcycle. And he had his bag snatched. And in his bag was his laptop. And so he'd lost his laptop. And they're not well off. And yet there and then, that group of people recognized that he needed a laptop. And so they just had a whip round amongst themselves. And there and then, they managed to pull together enough money for him to go and buy a new laptop or a second-hand laptop to replace that. And it just struck me, there's that sacrificial nature of that relationship. 
and that ability to imagine that future where people, leaders from their countries could come together as friends to resolve a problem, a shared problem together. You described a room full of people seeking solutions, building relationship. For those of us who haven't had the privilege of being in one of those rooms of that group of people, can you just explain to us a bit of what that might sound like, look like, feel like? So I think for that particular meeting, and we were just together for a, it was a long weekend, and one of the things they were trying to do was to understand what was causing that tension and to understand it from the perspective of each other's countries. So rather than just looking at it as, as a group of people from Rwanda, what, what does that look like if you're from DRC? What does that look like if you're from Burundi? So really trying to get an understanding of how it's perceived from the different perspectives. So that's really getting at that complexity to, to understand that complexity. But they were also looking at practical things like how do you achieve influence? How can you do advocacy with people? How can you lobby for changes in policy? How do you organise to do that? And in particular, how can you use the strengths of each other? So rather than a Rwandan trying to talk to somebody, a politician from DRC, how can you use people from within DRC to do that and to represent the views of a Rwandan or the perceptions of that. So how can you lobby for each other in each other's countries? So you're, you're lobbying more as sort of trusted insiders, but with a particular insight that you can bring into that debate. That's really helpful to have it grounded in the room. Um, before we finish, I'd love to take us back to that term, moral imagination. And I was wondering, Mariam, if you could unpack for us what is moral about the imagination? So I'm sure that people have debated this a lot and I'm not looking for the definitive word, but just explain to us a little bit about what makes it moral. So uh, John Paul Lederach uh, talks about morality, not in the traditional sense of morality being doing right or wrong, but he talks about it really about being values-based. So it's an imagination that's grounded in values of the other things that we'll be talking about at some point of hospitality, values of respect for the other, values of seeing that each one of us is made in the image of God, that it's uh, an ability to imagine from that space of being a created being essentially. So it's very much trying to tap into the imagination that might not necessarily just be in our heads from knowledge but the imagination that really comes from the heart of lived experience, essentially. Uh, so that would be my kind of understanding of that particular element of it. Fantastic. Well, it's been fascinating as ever. Uh, for listeners who haven't heard our first programme, please go back to episode one. We're looking forward to you joining us in the future for our episodes on embrace and hospitality. So thank you very much to Mariam. Thank you to David. See you all next time. Bye.